The first known rules of golf were drawn up in 1744 by the gentlemen golfers of Edinburgh in Leith, Scotland. Since then, the game has changed dramatically. Golf courses, equipment, and not least the rules. So where do I go when I want to learn about the rules of the game today? Well, I go to the Golf Rules Questions podcast with Blakey and Roscoe, of course. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. Thank you, as always, for joining us. We do appreciate everyone who listens in and shares the episode and tells their friends. And we love that uh, you are learning something new, whether it be significant or small, about the rules of golf. We do appreciate you taking the time to tune in. My name's Roscoe, your co-host, and sitting opposite, alongside the Blakey, the Blake man, Blakester. I don't know. We'll go with uh, we'll go with Blakey today. That'll do. The golf rules guru himself. How are you, Blakey? Yeah, going really well, Roscoe. Uh, yeah, I was, I was thinking I'll, I'll try and change it up and uh, not go with yeah, going really well, Roscoe. But fell into that same uh, trap of saying that again. But yeah, no, uh, everything's going pretty good. Uh, played golf on the weekend, so had to make sure I was playing by the rules, of course. Although I wasn't handing in a card, so some would say it wouldn't really matter. Uh, but it's still golf to me, so try and play by the rules every time I play. Okay. Well, we might come back and talk about your uh, round of golf. I also had a round of golf last week uh, myself, so, um, yeah, it was very good. Now, we've got the rundown uh, this week. Before we get into the rundown, you enjoying this uh, podcasting gig? Yeah, what, what's this, episode 18? Yeah, it's it's been really fun. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking at getting a different audience um, or not so much a different audience, but a different way of engaging with the same audience and also a new audience. So uh, I think that we've done a pretty good job on that aspect, Roscoe, and that's why we're going to keep going. And hopefully you're going to stick around and, and help me because I don't think I could do this without you. Well, okay, actually, actually, I know that I wouldn't be able to do this without you because it's actually a ton of work. It's, uh, you know, we've got our own jobs um, to do and our own passions and as you said, playing golf as well ourselves. Um, and then on top of that, we want to put this podcast together and, and it is a lot more uh, work than what I first thought. But don't fret out there, listeners, because it's still really enjoyable and I, I'm very passionate about it. So it's going well. Well, one thing I know is the listeners will tell us what they think, whether we are or are not doing a good job and appreciate all the ones that have told us that uh, they're enjoying it. But um, we do know that uh, you do like to give us feedback and we appreciate that because it's it's what feeds uh, our thoughts, what feeds the content and what feeds what we talk about. So we, we do appreciate all the feedback. And today's episode is dedicated to uh, quite, a little, uh, quite a lot of that feedback. We've got some listeners' uh, questions to go through. Of course, we've got the golf rules question of the week, or the G R Q O T W, and you were going to give it a new name before there, Blakey. What was what were you going to call it? The the uh, I think that's Russian. The Gritu. Uh, we were talking about anagrams and palindromes and all those other things that uh, we were trying to work out what it actually was. It's just an abbreviation, the G-R-Q-O-T-W. Uh, we've got some listener questions, as we mentioned. Uh, maybe a, a more complicated Iver, but an Iver nonetheless. Um, someone's picked up uh, the guru himself, Blakey, on an Iver on a technicality. Um, it's a little serious Iver, but as I said, it's an Iver. Um, we've got, our, of course, the background bingo to go through. Um, won't surprise you that uh, our regular exponent of the background bingo has shone through again with the, uh, f- you know, in Eddie Maguire style, fastest finger first uh, with the, the dual correct answers. And we've got some new backgrounds up here that uh, if you do jump across to the YouTube, the growing YouTube channel of Golf Rules Questions, the resource for all things Golf Rules, some wonderful videos, uh, the videos, um, the production team, and it is a production team now, and, and thank you, to um to Stuart, who's doing a wonderful job with the videos out there in uh, listener land, who jumped on board and has helped Blakey uh, really um, lift up the videos and we're continuing to put a lot of effort into those as well. So that's a great resource. Jump across to the YouTube. Subscribe. That's the important part. When you go there, just hit the little button, subscribe, because that, uh, that means a lot. Now, um, and then also, yeah, we're talking about the segments, but it wouldn't be uh, – wouldn't be the golf rules questions podcast if we didn't talk about some golf rules and some golf rules information. And there seems to be a lot of discussion that pops up through the interwebs about 
and just golf in general about dropping the ball. Now we've we know what dropping the ball is all about, but just the various situations that occur in relation to where to drop, how to drop, what's the correct place and place, and, and when do you drop and when do you place, and all that sort of thing. So we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about that as the the learning part of today's episode. But uh, first, Blakey, let's go back to last week's golf rules question of the week. Yeah, can you remember what last week's golf rules? question of the week was well, well i'm glad you asked now last week's golf rules questions of the week was what happens if your longest club in the bag except the putter breaks how do you measure a club length after that good question how what happens if the longest club in your bag which is the driver which is one that you would traditionally measure distance for taking relief what happens if it breaks yeah so you continue to use the length of that club as your club length. And, but if you do or are permitted to replace that club uh, or add a club, uh, then if the replaced or added club is now your longest club in the bag, except the putter, uh, that becomes what uh, defines a club length for your round. Okay, so, and we are talking about for the purposes of taking relief. So you are taking relief, you need to measure one club length for your your, uh, dropping area, and your drive is broken through, you fell on it, or you might have wrapped it over the back of your golf bag or something, I don't don't condone that behaviour. But when you take a one club, you still need to use the longest club in your bag. And you say, is that, are you saying that you have to sort of wedge it together and get your distance that way? Yeah, spot on. So whatever that length was, mm. um, if you need to, I mean, in determining a relief area, you don't actually, or even defining what the, teeing, the length of the, the depth of the teeing area is, you don't have to, as we all know, you don't have to use a club length. But if you want to try and get it, uh, dropping your ball or, or teeing your ball up in the extremity uh, of the um, depth or or length that you can use, um, then it's probably a better idea that you do measure the length with the longest club in the bag except the putter. Now, if it's broken, you just grab the two pieces and you know work out the uh, the the area uh, with those two pieces. Why, why wouldn't you just go for your, Why can't you just go for your three wood? You know, your driver's broken, the head, you've taken that, you know, you've got the brace and bits and it's in your bag somewhere and you're you know, faced with a $500, you know, new Tour, Tour AD DI7 shaft a la Adam Scott, you know, because that's what you want to do to rip your drive's 260. Um, your driver's broken, can't you just rip a three-wood out and measure the one club length with that? You certainly can use your three-wood or any club to work out an estimate of what the relief area or the teeing area would be, but the actual measurement down to the millimetre is using the longest club in your bag except the putter. So, again, if you if you were to say, let's, what's the standard driver, 44, 45 inches, Roscoe? 47, 48 if you're Bryson DeChambeau, but yes, you're right. <laughs> so let's say 45, and what's the standard three would, I'm guessing 42 or something like that? Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing, yep. Okay, so if you're a mathematician and you broke your – through, uh, broke your driver, you weren't permitted to replace it under 4.1. Uh, so it's still the driver is your longest club in the bag, except your putter, and that's the club length, the definition of a club length. You could use your three wood to measure and, and then adding on an extra three inches. Okay? So the, you know, you can use any other club to work it out. But to actually define what defines the depth or what defines the relief area is at the specific length uh, of that longest club in your bag except the putter. So that becomes important if it's like you're considering stance and whether your stance is in the relief area or, or you know, you've taken full relief and that sort of thing. Is that right? Uh, not so much about your, your like the club length the relief area about stance uh, that's more about what club 
you were going to use yeah. for the shot. So you're simulating what, um, say if, uh, you know, if you've got to hit it under trees, but you want to try and get relief by putting a wedge in your hand, but that's just an unreasonable stroke. Mm. Uh, then, you know, then you'd have to be trying to use your three iron or four iron. So that's sort of different to, uh, simulating the shot that you're wanting or going to play. Club length is specifically for that area on the ground, uh, whether it be the relief area when taking relief mm-hmm. or whether it be in defining what the teeing area is. Okay. All right. Well, that fairly much uh, covers that up. And uh, once again, another another question that's not meant to be, you know, well, it was sort of a trick question, but not really. But, you know, there's there's obviously more than more than uh, a couple of scenarios that can take place when you're thinking about when your longest club's broken. Now, uh, listener. Yeah, well, they're, they're not common scenarios. You know, how often does this happen? As you said, we don't condone anger. So how often does this happen? Oh, probably one in, one in a hundred thousand times. But if this ever does happen, now people will know if they listen to the podcast. No, sorry. <laughs> so you are listening to the podcast, so you'll know. It's quite often that you see uh, a broken shaft in a in a rubbish bin at a golf course if someone has had the misfortunate circumstances to break their club, whether purposely or accidentally. Um, so it might pay you to keep the broken shaft in in situ, and uh, <laughs> and if you do need to get get the fac- maximum full length to get the maximum relief, who knows when it might benefit you by being able to measure the maximum. You need both bits in hand, golfers. There you go. Hey, um, so we've got a couple of listeners' questions to fire into. Uh, Webo, shout out to Webo over there in the uh, UK. Um, thank you for your question. Uh, probably came in a couple of weeks ago, a week or so ago. So we're just putting it into this episode because uh, there's a lot to get through in every episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. But Webo has come at us with uh, it's a long question, so I'll read. I'll read this one. I can't memorise it. Can Can you do it in a Yorkshire type accent? Or? I will not do it in a Yorkshire accent because I do not want to um, – Webo strikes me as one, you know, being a, a rules-interested uh, person, you know, he's fairly probably direct, much like yourself, uh, Blakey, um, and I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with a Yorkshireman by taking off a Yorkshire accent. That's fating punishment greater than I can even think about caring about. So, no, I won't, not in public. Uh, well, not I, in, I, not in, not in, I bet you – I bet you that I've got that totally wrong. He'll come back with a, that's an either because I'm not even a Yorkshireman. So oh, um, wait, wait. I I can't remember. Um, I'm terrible. You know, I'm terrible with names. I'm terrible with geography. So, uh, Weber, if you, uh, I'm sorry if uh, if I did get you as a Yorkshireman uh, wrong. Or not, it wasn't your fault. That was my, completely my yeah, fault. Yeah, okay, well. Lancashire, Yorkshire. I'm not sure what part of the north uh, Webber is from, but I think he's, if I remember rightly, he's from the. He, one thing's for sure, he's going to tell us, and uh, <laughs> we will find out. And I still won't be doing uh, an accent. Damn it! Scottish accent as much as you'll get me on. Well, you could try that one. No, not today. I've already, I've already done it once today. There you go. Oh, yeah, there yeah, you, yeah, there yeah, we go. Uh, Webber, once again, hello, Webber, over there in the UK. Your question was is. Player A hits his second shot to the green and is rolling nicely towards the hole. A dog suddenly runs onto the green before the ball was at rest and picks it up and runs off. It was a new Pro V1. Jeepers, do you want to get that back? The dog's owner recovers the ball and throws it back onto the green. Very nice. It comes to rest about 30 feet further away from where the dog had picked it up. How rude. What is the ruling and how should the player have proceeded? I have my thoughts and I know what exactly happened. So it's a real-life situation. Weber hasn't just dreamt this up and fired off a question. Uh, and we'll like your thoughts and exp- on from the experts, please. Yeah, there's some uh, unruly dogs out there well, walking as you, around golf courses. Well, no, but as you know, just for a bit of listener um, information, if you're you know, used to playing golf in the UK and very much so in Scotland, you know, dogs are a welcome part of the golfing environment and I, I support it wholeheartedly. You know, there's nothing been more enjoyable for me and I remember a couple of very specific times uh, in Scotland uh, playing at North Berwick and playing along. Um, the whole name is called Perfection. It's one of the toughest, quirkiest par fours you'll ever play and it finishes up near the, uh, the water. Anyway, there's 
couples walking along there, as you're allowed to do in in Scotland, you have the freedom to roam or the right to roam. And a couple walking there, I think it was a sort of miniature schnauzer, that, and I stopped, had a plat, had a play, play, had a chat, and uh, it was lovely. And it's just it's just a nice environment for the dogs. The dogs out walking and sharing the course, they stay out of the way, except in Webbo's case, because not, not this one. Well, maybe in Scotland, but not in England. The dog went rogue, but um, I wholeheartedly support dogs being allowed to be. Um, brought under the course as long as they're kept under control and obviously, you know, things are kept clean. I had a wonderful round at a place called Dunfanaghy, which is in uh, County Donegal, 14 euros, looking at to the America sort of thing. And uh, I played, again, with a Scotsman who was over there on holidays and he brought his little dog. His dog's, you know what his dog's name was? He was a Celtic fan. Um, so I had to endure a round of golf with a Celtic fan, which wasn't actually that bad. What was Sean? No, it wasn't Sean. If you are listening in uh, from Scotland and you are a Celtic fan, you know, and you had a dog, there's probably many dogs called Henrik Larsson, number seven, very famous uh, Swedish uh, striker for um, it wasn't striker, but um, player for Celtic and Sweden, Henrik Larsson. So I enjoyed a wonderful round with Henrik Larsson, but we digress as we like to do. Back to the dog stealing. I don't want to call a dog a mutt, but you know, like if you stole your ball, you might want to. You might have. Webber might have let a few expletives go. I could imagine him letting a few of them go. What happens? Right. So an outside influence, the dog is an outside influence, has stolen the ball, the ball that was in motion. Uh, you estimate the spot where the dog took the ball. And from that spot, you either, uh, you have either a one club length uh, relief area, we talked about club length, uh, relief area in which to drop, or if it's on the green, as it was in this case, the putting green of the hole you're playing, then you place it on that spot directly below where the dog took it, where the ball came to rest in the dog. <laughs> and you can, and this is under 11.1, you can change your golf ball because you're taking that relief under exception one of 11.1. So obviously you have to be COVID safe and uh, no, it's not been proven that you can catch COVID-19 from from dogs. But uh, if there is dog slobber on there and you don't want to be part of the dog slobber um, and there's a fair degree of chance that there is dog slobber on a ball that's um, feverishly taking after your ball in motion on the green... You can change your ball if you don't want to. If you don't want to deal with a ball with a dog schlever um, all over the ball, yeah, you can certainly uh, clean your ball. Uh, there's two reasons that you'd be able to clean your ball in this question. Uh, one, because the dog has uh, it, it took it and it was in its mouth. You know, it came to rest in the dog for a few seconds. <laughs> can you uh, refer? Is there another way to refer to it than coming into rest in the dog? No, that's uh, basically, <laughs> if you look at the the rules, uh, the way the 11.1 is written, it says, exception one, when ball played from anywhere except putting green comes to rest on any person, animal, or moving outside influence. So I guess you could say on the dog, but it didn't. It came to rest in the dog, in the dog's mouth. There you go. Fair enough. Uh, so... Yeah, if the stroke was made from on the putting green, obviously you cancel and replace and replay, but this was made from off the putting green. Dog stole it when it was on the putting green, so it needs to be placed at that spot that the dog uh, stole it. Okay, well, if you're playing golf in Australia, and thanks for listening, if you are in Australia, it's probably unlikely that a dog's going to run out in your normal club playing and steal your dog, uh, steal your ball, maybe a bird, same, th- same deal, I imagine. Yep. Yep, uh, plenty, same, same deal. Plenty of crows stealing golf balls out there in Australia. I'm not sure they steal them whilst they're in motion, though. Yeah, no, that, 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 was, that was pretty good. Well, you can imagine. Imagine that in your mind's eye, the dog running out, taking the dog. There you go. Hey, I'm taking the ball. Now, okay, good. That's answered. Check. Next question. The next question is from another favourite regular participant and contributor to the Golf Rules Questions podcast. Yes, it's Big P from Clubland. And uh, Big P's anchored one in, so Anchor is where your podcasts are hosted. And uh, he's left us a question, which we'll come back to and answer it right after we play it. Blakey, Roscoe, Big P. 
um, from Clubland here, standing on the ninth tee and big build-up of players on the par three. Just wondering, what are the rules with practicing before you tee off on the next hole? I'd love to know what I can and can't do because obviously the short game needs a bit of work. Thanks, boys. Bye. Blakey, Roscoe, Big Great question there from Big P, and it sounds like he was phoning that in live. Like, it sounds like it was happening as the situation was occurring on course. So I think he was actually playing golf, um, which I love. I love the fact that someone can get onto anchor and leave a live question as they're playing golf. Um, might not be able to answer the question, but I, I love the fact that someone can do that live, and if you do, um, really would really appreciate that. Now, his question, again, just to reframe, playing, build up on the tee, bit of a weight, can he, you know, chip at uh, his buggy wheel or can he just practice some short game in and around uh, that teeing ground? My question, can he go back to the green because he's in the last group? Um, potentially. Can he go back to the green and chip onto the green? I think I know the answer, but uh, I'll leave it to you because you're the expert, Blakey. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, actually, I was just thinking, just uh, I'll digress slightly. Uh, imagine if we did have a team of about, I don't know, 10, 20 of us that could at all times of the day answer questions just like that. Anyway, that's something we can figure out in, in the future possibly. But for Big P from Clubland, uh, Rule 5.5 is where you want to be looking and that talks about practice during a round. Now, obviously, you're not allowed to practice during play of a hole, but as soon as that hole is finished and before you tee off to start play of the next hole, there are certain uh, or specific areas and specific types of shots that you are permitted to hit uh, if you are practicing. And they are using the putting green of the last hole played. So Big P was on hole nine or the tee off of the teeing area of hole nine, he could have been, he could have practiced his putting or his chipping on the eighth green. Okay. He also could have practiced his putting or chipping on or on or near the ninth teeing area. Uh, and the other or the last spot is he could have practiced putting and chipping on any practice green uh, on the course. However, you're not permitted to unduly delay play. Now, at Box Hill, uh, which Big P has mentioned he's, uh, he plays at as a regular of, uh, the putting green, the practice putting green is right above the green of the sixth hole, which is about 100, 200 metres from the ninth teeing area. So walking up to that and then walking back, uh, it's a possibility if there's two or three, two or three groups on the tee that he's waiting to head off, but uh, unlikely that you'd be doing it without delaying play. So probably best to just stick to the teeing area or the green of the last hole played, provided that no one else is playing up to it. I find this is a very handy rule to know. Uh, I sort of fall into the same category as Big P, you know, need to be sort of maintaining some feel around the short game area. So I do find myself having a practice if I get the opportunity just to, you know, get that sort of flub chip out of my mind and sort of get some face on ball sort of action happening. Um, so it is a handy one to know. And I, I do remember over the golfing journey as an adult when I came back to the game of golf, being questioned on it a number of times, you know, chipping and, and partaking in this rule and people telling me, no, you can't practice on the course and me going, no, 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 yes, I can because I know the rules. Um, so it's a good one to know because some, there's, I think there's a lot of people out there that think that you can't practice on the course so you can't practice on the course. Now, a couple of other situations, especially in and around uh, Mornington, and I remember distinctly, I remember once um, a playing partner played a provisional. He found both balls. The provisional that he played, uh, which was a scungy second ball, um, was in the middle of the fairway and his other ball was not too far away. He proceeded to hit the provisional ball into the water. So he turned around, didn't hit it in the direction of play, but he hit it from the fairway and hit it out into the Port Phillip Bay. 
Now, the question there was, is he practicing on the course? Uh, well, you need to know what he actually is doing, what, what his intention uh, was uh, with regard to that ball. Was he practicing? Well, that was the question, and his intention was my intention was just to hit the ball into the water, so I'm not practicing. But, you know, I, it wasn't me that asked the question because, you know, I knew what he was just – he was just frustrated and he just whacked the ball into the water. But, you know, someone else I think in the group said, oh, you know, be careful not to practice while you're playing. Someone might pick you up on that. Yeah, I mean, under 5.5a, it does state hitting a ball back to a practice area or to another player – when done solely as a courtesy, is not a practice stroke. And his intention was not to uh, was not to make a stroke at the provisional ball. You know, he had already found his original ball, and his original ball was the ball in play. I think I think the other player that mentioned it. Uh, was correct in saying that could be misconstrued as a practice stroke, but it does come down to what the player's intentions were. Uh, he wasn't trying to make a practice stroke. He wasn't making an intentional stroke at his ball and play. He was just trying to get rid of his ugly ball. Mm, yeah, I. it does come down to his intentions. Uh, you probably almost just give him a warning and say, look, mate, that's, uh, which sounds like what your or the other player in the group did in the first place. Hmm. There you go. Interesting scenario that I've thrown up there, Blakey, with that notice. Very, well, very good. Um, yeah, uh, probably an eye with that one. But uh, no, um, it does, as I said, it does come down to the player's intentions. Hmm. So, well, it doesn't say in frustration there in the rules. So anyway. Um, no, then that's, that's why you could actually say, you know, there was no intention to hit the ball as his ball in play, so it can't be that. It just comes down to, uh, yeah, making whether it was a practice or it was he actually trying to practice. No, I was just getting rid of this, you know, I was littering, basically. Yeah. I was littering. I was hitting it to a fish in the, in the thing. But I'm sure this situation probably does occur more often than, uh, than we um, are aware of. Now, the other scenario that came out, and I remember it was uh, in preparation for a district uh, stroke um, event, uh, Peninsula District Golf Association stroke event, and at Mornington, the putting green, or the old putting green, is a brand-new Himalaya-style putting green down there, that, which you probably should go and see because it's beautiful. And as I mentioned, the Himalayas green, fantastic, you should go and see it. But the old green was quite small near the clubhouse, which wasn't too far from the uh, 9th and 18th uh, greens, also not too far from the 10th tee. And one of the young fellas uh, from one of the other clubs, despite the fact that there was a sign there saying no chipping, um, was just got the lobby out and was just flop-shotting some uh, uh, lob wedges onto the putting green, just practicing his chipping. Now, it was he was questioned that uh, uh, the chipping on the course if he didn't want to be penalised or disqualified from the day's play. And there's another couple of areas um, between the other putting green, which is not too far from the 18th green, which is not too far from the second fairway where some players do like to have a little bit of a, a chip because the practice uh, fairway is 200 metres down the way. And once again, I've heard people say, you know, you shouldn't be chipping there. Uh, that's practising on the course before the stroke or the monthly. You won't win the medal if you're chipping there. So um, what's the scenario there? Uh, yeah, thank you for throwing that one on me as well. So rule 5.2 speaks about practising on the course before a round or after a round, if there's another round um, to be played on that course. So you're not permitted to practice on the course in a, before a stroke play round, but a committee, and I think I've brought this one up before, a committee can specify a specific part on the course as a practice area. Now, at my course, uh, the fantastic little nine-hole layer of Birragara Golf Club. The, they don't have any practice facilities, so the chipping and putting green is the ninth green or the 18th green at ninth slash 18th. So you're allowed to practice on that green, even though that's going to be one of the greens or two of the greens. 
that we play or one of the greens that we play twice uh, during the round that we're about to play, the committee have stipulated that everyone's allowed access to that spot. Uh, the rules around practice are on or near, you know, if it gets a little bit too far, that's when the committee has to stipulate what on or near would be at big, uh, you know, another instance would be at big peas course, uh, at box Hill, they have a chipping green down that runs just alongside the 10th, uh, and the 18th. Uh, when you're chipping on around the, the chipping green, you can actually be on the course. The chipping green's out of bounds as it is, but you can actually be, you know, hitting like a little 10 meter chip shot or four meter chip shot. You can actually be on the course. Again, it's for the committee to stipulate what is considered practicing on the course and what isn't. When you have those areas that could be. So, you know, I was working at a, a golf shop when I just moved, first moved to Australia. And, you know, it was just a public course. Uh, club you know, club played out of that and they were playing club champs and someone was hitting just what you were saying, just big sort of full flop shots, maybe 25 metres from the first tee. And someone uh, arced up about it and the committee said, oh, our hands are tied. The book says that that's practising on the course, so you're DQ'd. And I think they were actually going to win. I think it might not have been club champs, it might have been a four-ball championship and they were going to win and they uh, would penalise two shots, sorry. Uh, and, you know, it was just, you look back and now and go, that, that's ridiculous. And any green, he was on the side of the fairway, just 25 metres away from the first tee. The committee should have really stepped in and said, that's not what we would consider practising on the course. Okay. Well, I think we've covered uh, Big P's question. Not only have we answered his question, but we've added, added a few more uh, scenarios and yeah. situations to, to that. But uh, as we discussed at the start, um, we've got a couple of other things to talk about. Dropping the ball in the same area of the course. Now, when we talk about dropping the ball in the same area of the course, you know, we talk about unplayable situations, penalty areas, and free relief. What are some of the things that we need to be aware of in those scenarios? Captain Blake? Yeah, this is an interesting one. I've had a couple of queries about this on the socials and thought I'd just try and, you know, tell people uh, some, what do you call it, like a re-retina type thing. Like, a, you know, if I'm, you know, everyone thinks it used to be, oh, if it's penalty relief, you get two club links. Of, uh, you know, if it's free relief, you get one. That's not quite right. Uh, but if we go along those similar lines and have a little mental, uh, oh, you know, can I drop here? Can I drop there? Uh, let, let's, you know, it might not be absolutely perfect, uh, but this is a good thing to just think of when, uh, you know, when you need to drop it. So if you're going back to, you know, if you're taking penalty relief and you're going back to your last place played, you basically have to drop it in the same area. But outside of that, when you're taking penalty relief for an unplayable, you can basically drop it in any area of the course, okay? And that includes a no-play zone. So you can drop it in a no-play zone, you just can't play it from a no-play zone. So if the no-play zone is part, if part of the relief area is in the no-play zone, you can drop it in the no-play zone, you just yeah. go. Can I ask a question on that? So, you know, a no-play zone might be, you know, compulsory GUR or it might be GUR, yeah? So Yeah, yeah, it used to be known as compulsory GUR. That's, yeah, exactly right. It's uh, it's the old term of compulsory GUR is now a no-play zone. So just to qualify, you're taking, you know, unplayable relief. An area within where you can take relief is a no-play zone. So then you're entitled to take relief from the no-play zone. Spot on. So in some situations, you know, you may be getting a, much more advantageous position or place to play from. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, you have to really use your imagination here. I haven't come across too many situations where dropping in 
a no play zone and then taking free relief for, oh sorry no play zone abnormal course condition and then taking free relief from the no play zone ab- abnormal course condition gives you a better angle or a better lie but it definitely you know this is golf it definitely could happen yeah definitely i remember scenarios there where once again uh having access to that information like you know take an unplayable drop it on the path and then you know there's compo- there's um car paths you can take relief from where i was playing so unplayable onto the path and then relief from the path which then took you up onto a um you know t t box t area and a much more clear 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 spot yeah good idea good strategic dropping there roscoe but i remember i had to argue the point with one of my playing partners because they they didn't believe that i could take a drop which ostensibly now became three or four club lengths away when they said no, you should just drop it there. I said no, no. I, I, you know, here's my ball. Here's my ball. It's within the the dropping area, uh, and then I can take relief from the path over there. The same with um, casual water and things like that. You know, you can drop it in the casual water and then get relief from the casual water and then get a yeah. So I get it. Spot on. So when taking an unplayable, you can drop it in any area of the course under that option B and C. Uh, what I mean by any area, of course, you could drop your ball into a penalty area, um, you know, onto a teeing area if you wished. Okay, cool. if you dropped your ball onto a teeing area under that back on the line, uh, then now it's in the teeing area, you can tee it up. Really? Yep. If no, you're not playing that hole? Uh, <laughs> don't no. trick me like that. If you're not playing the hole, then that's not a tee, no, the team. No, it's area. not team, No, exactly. Yeah, okay. That's a let, let's just call that what it used to be called a team ground yeah. or the tee box yeah. uh, okay. of that hole. But the teeing area is a specific area, and you only ever have one of them when you're playing golf. So, and the reason why, and sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to throw you there. I was just a bit. Hang on, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know that one. Um, so the the example that I just raised about the relief unplayable relief onto a path and then taking relief up onto a tee playing. It's actually um, uh, the 17th at Mornington and quite often in my left miss zone, uh, there's a tree, path, tee. Um, but then we talk about the 18th tee and right next to that is a red staked penalty area. So, and it's quite close. He'll hosel one into the red penalty area and you'll dro- is what you're saying, if you can drop it back within the defined area from the red stakes and it's is on the penalty, it's on the tee of the hole that you're playing, you can tee it back up. Yes, but I, but remember you could also just go back to your teeing area for that situation anyway. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, but, yeah. but let's say you dribble one off the tee. Yes. Then you shank it. Yes. Then you've got your two club links. Yes. And that gets you back into that teeing area. Yes, you could drop it within the teeing area. Yeah, okay, cool. And tee it up. And tee it up. On that hole, you drop, you drop it first, and then you tee it up. But only on the hole that you're playing. Yeah, there's only ever one teeing area, and that is on the hole that you're playing. Yeah, okay. Every, every other teeing area is not a teeing area. Uh, it's just general area until you start playing that hole that that teeing area represents. Well, I didn't know that, Blakey, that I could uh, shank one into the tree on the right of the tee. I could squib it back and then put it back into an unplayable position and still be within that uh, area, put it in a drop on the tee and then tee it up and then roost it again. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very unlikely that it was going to happen, especially for a man of your talent. You haven't seen some of the golfers I play with, mate. Yeah, they, they might have had advantage of that had they known that. But, um, there we go. Very good. What else? So so then, so then, that's the unplayable. And a uh, penalty area... Uh, if you're taking relief from a penalty area, uh, again, going back to your previous place or your last place played, uh, you have to stay in the same area of the course, but under your option uh, two or option B, whatever it is, um, you can drop it in any area of the course except the same penalty area. So you could d- drop it in a different penalty area. You can't. You just can't drop it in the same penalty area. Okay, so basically unplayable, you can do anything you want. Penalty area, you've got one restriction. 
And now we get to free relief and it has to be in the same area of the course. Okay. Yep. Uh, so if your ball is right on top of a bunker uh, and there's, there's uh, nowhere in which to take relief, this is 16.1, remember, not 16.3. Uh, there's nowhere to take relief. Uh, you you have to you don't you're finding your nearest point of relief or nearest point of complete relief in that regard. So for an embedded ball, you don't find your nearest point of complete relief. It's just a spot directly behind the ball. Whereas for an abnormal course condition, you're finding your nearest point of complete relief, and from there you have your one club length. That's why I tried to give the situation of just your ball just above a bunker, uh, but it doesn't. Your imagination would have to be as wild as mine to understand that. So, you know, you're finding your nearest point of complete relief where you're taking a stance and, um, you know, the, the ball is not is in the same area of the course and then you've got your one club length from there. Okay. So you couldn't drop it in the, the bunker. Yeah, that's the question. So you can't, you can't drop it in the bunker and then play from there because that's within the – Area, but you have to. It could it. it could possibly be within the uh, the relief area, but it's not the same part of the course, course yeah. so you can't drop it in there. Cool. Well, that's clear. Sorry if I was talking about uh, penalty areas and unplayable in that example off the AT at Mornington with the red stakes there, but um, okay, I, I you described it, you recovered it very well. Thank you on my behalf for recovering my. Well, I think everyone needs to go and play Mornington and see how hard what uh, it would be to. He won. He won into that into yeah. that creek on the left. Um. Anyway, very good. That that was good. Uh. So next next on the rundown. So we've got an Iver. You've been called on an Iver. It's a fairly. Uh. You take these Ivers very seriously, but this one is is very serious nature to you because it's a little bit technical. Um. It's not really in the true tradition. Tra- see, that's almost an Iver there. Um. The true tradition of Ivers where we might call Camilo Viegas, Camilo Vijagas, or vice versa, but. Uh, where where is where have you been alerted to an Iver on yourself? I think you're currently you know, at Iver tally. I think it might be like six four. You six me four. Um, so you're winning so far. Yeah, I don't think that's a, an award that I want to win. It's funny when we did start the Ivers, you were of the view for you that an Iver might be a mispronunciation. Uh, whereas for me, I, I'm a Kiwi, so I know that I'm going to mispronounce everything. Uh, so for me, an either was definitely going to be where I cocked up a rule. Okay. Uh, now that's definitely going to happen. That's, I'm never going to say that I'm perfect in that regard. Uh, and it might just be a slip of the, well, usually will be a slip of the tongue, but in this, I like to try and abbreviate some of the phrases in the rules of golf. And the one that I continually use is last edge crossed when talking about a penalty area. And my good friend, David Grieve, uh, alerted me to the fact that if you think about the last edge crossed, that is the same as thinking about how long is a piece of string. You actually have to say the estimated point of the last edge crossed which is a fair point he makes okay because you know because it needs to be a point like you can't go oh well it's it's this edge you know last cross this edge well i get to go wherever i want within two club links and drop the ball no it has to be an estimated point on that edge uh, that you work out your club links from Hence the reason why Lee Westwood at the Masters stuck a peg in the ground so there was no question over the last edge crossed or the estimated edge um, or whatever way you go with. Um, thank you, Mr. Grieve. That, that is spot on and that is actually how it well, I think that was the reason that I did the either because we were talking about uh, Lee Westwood and Jason Cockrack nearly hitting Lee Westwood. Uh, speaking of Jason Cockrack, uh, this week on the My Love of Golf podcast, um, just to interject and pump my own things, uh, I interviewed a young man called 
Eric Sudransk. And if you're in the States listening to this, you might be aware of Member for a Day. And uh, Eric's currently raising some funds uh, by providing money can't buy golf experiences by amassing A, wonderful golf properties and people who are prepared to take people who are prepared to pay onto these golf properties. You know, we're talking like National Golf Links of America. We're talking um, um, Shadow Creek. We're talking you name it. And at the moment, he's got all these uh, college coaches that are hosting people at their clubs. But he's also got uh, Pat Perez and Jason Kokrak who are going to take them to Shadow Creek. Now, he did an Instagram Live with Pat Perez the other day and Jason Kokrak was in the background and jumps in and uh, it's – it's a really good conversation, you know, like it's, it's very funny. Basically, you can imagine Pat Perez and Jason Kokrak just um, chatting on. So if you want to go and, and listen to um, Member for a Day, but also the, my my love of golf podcast, um, young man doing some great things. Maybe one day we might get to the auspicious uh, situation where we can raise some money for charity. Blakey, I know that you've got some charities and some areas of your life that you're very passionate about. So maybe one day we can start doing that. Who knows? Yeah, I'm, I'm a big Beyond Blue fan about mental health, but we'll get to that one day, surely. Maybe if someone wants to buy that um, you know, GRQ, what's that polo shirt, that GRQ uh, sample prototype um, early model uh, GRQ polo shirt, maybe some of the proceeds might go to something like that. That's an idea for you without notice again, Blakey. Yeah, well, we put that out there on the podcast last week and we have, it's basically down to us, Roscoe, is to get it ready. We've got plenty of supporters wanting to get some merch off us so uh you know it's it's hat. basically us wasting their time rather than the other way around hat like this i reckon someone would buy a hat like this with a nice badge like this this one says bushwood cc um you know lots of things happen at bushwood cc probably a lot of real scenarios and brog and broglios happen at bushwood cc but if we had grq grq otw either whatever we have on there um i'm sure someone would want to buy that anyway what's the most what's the most famous quote from bushwoods and i don't is that one? No. And I don't gamble. No, wrong person. And I never and I never bet or something. Wrong person to ask there, Blakey. Sorry, I can't. I can't. You haven't you haven't watched it? I have, but I'm just not. I'm not good at recalling jokes. Oh, and yeah, yeah, fair enough, things yeah. like that. I'm just not me. But you're an you're an original jokester. I've got a picturesque. My I've got a beautiful picture in my mind, as I do behind me, Blakey, to segue into um, background bingo. Now, last week's last week's background bingo, no surprise. I don't know. I don't know how he got it. Like how? So, just we'll we'll wrap it up in a sec. But um, just to get to the point, how Andrew Miller? Let's tell everyone Andrew Miller's become a bit of a phenom um, about background bingo. He's obviously got it as his personal agenda to to be you know the first one to pick the right two every week. But some of the lengths he's now reporting to to you that he's going to to identify that my background last week was, in fact, Metropolitan, the wonderful uh, golf property on the sand belt here of Metropolitan. There's a photo that I took after a, some corporate day or something, and the sun was behind the tree, and it's a nice big tree. Tree features on the Metropolitan logo. I thought that might have been a giveaway. Uh, the other thing, um, you know, there's a couple of trees, you know, the buildings there might have been a giveaway. Uh, no, Andrew, it wasn't my house. <laughs> no, far from, far from uh, the Fl- the Flanagan residence uh, there. Um, but yeah, he did. What links did he go to to identify Metro? Yeah, so he got mine as well. Uh, Chisholm Links, uh, which hosted a couple of PGA events uh, in the early two thousands. Uh, that's a down in Dunedin. So I think I've done three courses in Dunedin now. But you didn't even show a golf course. You just showed the clubhouse of Metropolitan. And so he searched for, I think we might've snuck some clues out there talking about how it's such a good course. So he searched for top 10 golf courses in Australia. Um, didn't, he didn't quite, he, he searched for something, he didn't quite come up with something there. So he searched for something, uh, he searched for top 10 clubhouses after that. And he said, after seeing the Metro clubhouse, on the back of the 18th, he said, oh, that roof looks familiar. So he typed in Metropolitan and up came the front, what was it, front garden near the car park with the tree and uh, Metropolitan, he sent it through to me. Unbelievable. 
Well done, Andrew. Congrats and uh, thank you for your feedback. Uh, Scotsman down there in England and uh, spent some time in Edinburgh and uh, by all accounts is a passionate Heart of Midlothian fan, as am I. Go the Hearts in the first division this year. We'll be back next year, don't worry. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's always nice to have another Jambo listening in. Um, football, round, round, proper football, Blakey. Not this, not, not Does it have round. dimples? No, it has okay. no dimples. patches and it's the round ball and it's a, a beautiful game and goes in the upper Benjamins or the top bins, you know, that sort of thing. That's where you put the right. football. Um, but talking about football, this background bingo is from a country where football very much features. Um, there's not too much there. You can see that uh, there's a few people amassing around the side there, so obviously uh, it's tournament conditions. So have a look at that one uh, and see if you can pick that one. And uh, Blakey, yours is a little bit obscure. I can see a nice little green hut. Um, I can see the ocean. I can see some cliffs. It's uh, not Mornington. I know that much. Yeah, well, I've stayed in the same country as I've had done the last, since I started doing background bingo, so there might be about 15 or 16 in a row. Choice. Choice. Uh, I've played on this course a fair few times, especially as a junior. The the, uh, tip, the hint is that there is four holes across the road. So one side of the road, you have 14 holes. The other side is four holes. I think that's a fairly good hint to getting that one. Sounds a little bit like uh, Flinders, but it's not Flinders, obviously, because it's from another part of the world. But uh, Flinders has got a few holes on one side of a road and a few holes on the other side of the road and sits up above the water, much like that. We'll have to go down there one day. We'll have to take... Uh, take golf rules questions on the road and go and do some situations down there in Flinders. I'm, I'm sure Mr. Poulton would have us down there. If you are listening, Mr. Poulton, um, please let us know and we'll, we'll come down to Flinders any time. Now, very good. Is that us? Yep, we've just got the golf rules questions of the week, episode 18. How could I forget? The golf rules question of the week. So what is this week's golf rules question of the week? We've got a couple here lined up. So um, here it is. Are you ready? Are you ready, Blake? I'm ready, yeah. Well, you wrote it, so I hope you're ready. So, when are you permitted to place your ball in the general area? Not replace, specifically place. There we go. That's it. So, the easy one is under the local rule, but I want to hear the one that isn't under the local rule. So, there we go. When are you permitted to place your ball in the general area? Place your ball in the general area. Not replace, specifically place. I'm sure there's some trickery about behind your questions, Blakey, but uh, we'll let them Well, listen. to be honest, I've given some easy ones because I've taken them straight out of the def- definitions. The reason that I take them straight out of the definitions is to try and get people to go to the definitions because it's the most important part of the golf book okay. or the rules of golf book. Uh, this one I've actually made a little bit harder. It's not a specific area that you're going to find it. You're just going to have to know the rules uh, a little bit better. Well, another test, another nugget, another bit of homework to round out this week's episode of the Golf Rules Questions podcast. It's been dogs um, on the golf course, dogs in the recording. I'll try and edit that out. Thanks for your patience. If you hear a little dog bark, it's only a little black thing that's uh, a very yappy but a very beautiful little member of our household here. And, uh, Blakey, it's great to see you as always. I look forward to catching up with you very soon. And, um, yeah, it's been a great episode. Thanks for, thanks for having us. Thank you very much, everyone, especially you, Roscoe.